Hello, adventuresses, and welcome to the podcast show for women who love horses, travel, and adventure. I'm Ute, and together with my partner, Heather, I'm happy to welcome you to another exciting episode. One word before we start. If you like this show, please give us a rating or review on your podcast player, as this will help in keeping this podcast up and running. Also, tell your friends about it, so more like-minded women can find us and start listening. Thank you. And today I'm having a super interesting guest. I'm talking with Hebe Weber from Australia. And Hebe is a real equestrian adventurer. She studied equestrian sciences in Australia and then really uh, went abroad, worked with horses uh, in Chile on a big estancia, being the only woman there and really made her way up the South American continent and ever since working in so many different ways with horses all over the world. And uh, yeah, today she's sharing her amazing stories and she's uh, giving a couple of tips and sharing a couple of ideas how you can also find yourself a job with horses in another country. So I'm super excited. Let's just go to the show. We are explorers. We are trailblazers. We love to do what cannot be done. We love to test our limits, cross borders, and we love the freedom horses bring us. We seek lands without fences. Who are we? We are equestrian adventuresses. We are a community of women who love horses, travel, and adventure. To infinity and beyond! And now your hosts, Uta and Heather. Have you ever wondered what it is like to ride off into the horizon? The Equestrian Adventuresses invite you to join into an epic adventure, the Ride 1000 Miles Challenge. The 1000 Miles Challenge is a fun project for you and your horse to bond and to do something epic. You don't need to be an endurance rider to participate. Any rider and any horse can do this. Ride in your own time with your own schedule and complete the 1,000 miles together with your horse, creating unforgettable memories and forming a special connection which only comes with spending hours riding out together. Discover places and routes you have never seen before and get yourself and your horse fit on the way. Remember, it's not the destination but the journey which counts. Join our tribe of incredible horsewomen from all over the world participating in this challenge. A leaderboard will give you the chance of keeping track of your global ranking and our private community of fellow participants will keep you motivated. During the challenge, we'll have Q&A sessions, mini workshops and training plans. Every participant will get an award upon finishing and every month you have a chance of winning amazing bonus prizes. Join our Ride 1000 Miles Challenge now and start your own personal adventure with your horse. You can find all the details in the show notes. Just click on the link and it will take you directly to the website where you can find all information. And now let's just head to the show. Good morning, and here I'm back again with Hebe from Australia, and she's joined me here today to talk about her incredible life with horses. Good morning, Hebe. Hi, Ute. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining me here. So maybe you can briefly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you as a person and, of course, as a horsewoman. Okay, yeah, my name's Hebe, and as you said, I'm from Australia. I am currently living in New Zealand at the moment in the South Island. Um, yeah, so no one else in my family rides. It is just me. So it hasn't isn't something that's been passed on, I guess. It's my own love <laughs> that started. Um, 
I think it all started because my next door neighbor when I was a kid had a pony um, and of course when you're a kid you don't want to just watch you want to be involved and it just got kicked off from there um, I was very lucky when I was 11 years old I got to borrow a pony from someone and there is a little bit more about that story in one of the equestrian adventuresses books as well um, growing up with horses in Australia which was a very incredible experience and something quite unique um, in the way it happened I suppose in Australia um, yeah I then went on to work at a Lipizzana stud um, I made those connections through pony club um, in Australia and I then went to study equine science um, for a couple of years I changed to veterinary technology got my vet nursing certificate in large animal um, and then kind of decided studying wasn't for me anymore and took off overseas and found my love for horse guiding, which is what I currently do for my career. Um, yeah, so I guess that would be the main sort of things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, cool. Uh, you already mentioned one of your stories is in one, our Equestrian Adventures book series. Do you remember which one? I've read it, but I don't remember because I read them all in which, uh, in which, um, in which, uh, book it is. Um, so I have one story in Saddles and Sisterhood and in I have another one. story in the third book, I believe as well. Okay. Uh, going the distance, I think it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. There any, anyone yeah. wants to, wants to, um, read some of your stories, uh, you can go and go ahead and purchase the book. They are definitely worthwhile. Lots of great stories in there. Yeah. You already mentioned you studied equine science at university. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people, including myself, um, I just kind of study and I think a lot of people actually uh, are thinking, a lot of horsewomen thinking, well, that's a great study. How did this help you with your horsemanship skills? Did you find it worthwhile? Um, I did. It really depends, I guess, what you want to do with horses in the long run. So originally I started equine science because I wanted to be an equine nurse or a large animal nurse. And in Australia, just before I'd finished high school, they'd actually gotten rid of the large animal nursing certificate. You could only do small animal nursing. Um, so I guess I looked at other avenues of how I can get to where I wanted to be, which is how I came upon equine science. Um, I think equine science is really great if you want a veterinary or more research-based role. So if you wanted to, you know, um, work in equine exercise physiology or equine nutrition or something a bit more of course you do get time with horses but a lot of it is more I guess lab or research based I mean I'm sure there's plenty of outcomes from that study that I don't even know about there's a lot of niche jobs out there but I just found for me once I'd started I realized I wanted a bit more of a hands-on role than where that I felt that was taking me which is why I then changed to veterinary technology, um, majoring in large animal. So still a bit more along that equine nurse sort of pathway. The course itself, equine science, I did the first year and a half of it. I had so much fun. I learned so much. Um, of course, in your first year, you do a lot of general science subjects before you then go on 
to do the equine-specific ones. So you'll start off just doing, you know, animal nutrition or animal welfare, and once you've completed that, you can then do equine nutrition, equine welfare, and those more specific subjects. We did do some amazing projects. We, for example, got given some unhandled yearlings and we essentially just got them called out by number and said, that's your horse and you have, you know, eight weeks to be able to train them to do this whole list of things. You know, some of it, none of it was riding, of course. They're too young, but it was sort of, you know, they need to be able to pick up all their feet, be brushed. You need to be able to long rein them. You need to be able to ride and lead them at a walk, trot and canter off another horse. It was just incredibly interesting and we got to do some sort of uh, research of our own ideas. For example, how hot do horses get in rugs standing out in the sun depending on what colour the rug is. So it, while we did get that hands-on stuff, I really believe the outcomes are more those science kind of research or veterinary-based roles. Okay. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool subject, actually. As I said, I eyed it myself and decided against it because, um, yeah, sometimes I think it really depends on the university. But that sounds really cool that you get to handle your own yearling there. Well, let's yeah. turn a little bit towards your travel because you traveled basically to a lot of places working with horses and uh, yeah. you did travel to South America. And I think one of your stories was about that. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience working on an estancia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was definitely one of the best things I've ever done. And of course, before I got there, one of the scariest, you know, Spanish as they speak in Chile is not my first language. I'm Australian, so I speak English. Um, so that was one of the biggest hurdles. And of course, the way they are with their horses is completely different to the English style that I'd grown up with in Australia. So that was one of the main reasons I wanted to go is to just compete completely absorbed in another culture and their way of life. I was very lucky that I was the only foreigner working on that farm. Everybody else was from Chile. There might have been one other person from another South American country. So it was speak Spanish or don't talk. <laughs> so you learn very quickly. And I was the only woman working on the farm that was out on the farm with the animals and the horses. That is not the case on every estancia. There are plenty of, um, they're called gauchas, which is, I guess, like the female version of cowboy. Um, for boys, it's called gaucho. Um, but just where I was, that was the situation. Um, it was just amazing learning how to always ride with one hand. You're sitting in these beautiful sort of sheepskin and rawhide saddles and learning the traditional way they go about life, um, how they look after their animals, and also learning about the incredible landscape and biodiversity they have in the Antarctic region of Patagonia is something pretty special in itself. And to see that from the back of a horse while you're living with one of those families is just an experience that I will never forget. I just, it was definitely one of the best things I've ever done, without a doubt. Yeah. Cool. How did you manage to find the place and get the job in the first place? That's a really good question. So I started off looking on websites like HelpX and WorkAway, sort of that work in return for food and board. I did consider getting, you know, a working visa. But I just couldn't find the job 
that I wanted. A lot of them sort of suggested, you know, do some farm work for us and we'll teach you how to ride a horse. And I thought, well, I don't need to be taught how to ride a horse, but I would love to learn the way you do it specifically in Chile, in the southern part of Chile. So in the end, I just Googled horse riding Patagonia and I just blind emailed every business I could find within reason that I thought looked good. Of course, the welfare of the animals and how they run their business is quite important to me. And of course, you can't know the full extent until you actually get there. You do have to take a little bit of a leap of faith sometimes. Um, So yeah, I just applied to all the places I thought looked good. And I was very lucky that you know, one of them did get back to me and essentially said, come whenever you want and stay as long as you want. So that's how I ended up there. Don't oh. underestimate the significance of a blind email. <laughs> yeah, it's right, actually. It sometimes brings you to places you'd never imagine going. Uh, so how long did you yeah. actually stay and what was your work there? So on that specific Estancia, I stayed for about um, four months. Uh, but in South America in general, I was gone for about a year. Um, okay. So my specific work on the Estancia was um, a farmhand and a horse trekking guide. So we would take sort of two rides out per day with guests. Most of them were um, tourists visiting from Europe. We had a couple of Australians, not a lot of other South or Central Americans occasionally. But, um, yeah, so my main focus in that instance was relaying information from Spanish to English. You know, this is how you hold the reins. This is how you ride a horse. This is where we're going. Um, And that was in conjunction with some local eco-lodges as well. Um, So, yeah, we'd do that. And then the other thing would be going out checking fences, looking after the cattle. Of course, they had a herd of 50 horses. And I was very lucky that the farm or estancia I happened to be on was also part of the local endurance club. So another big part of my job was taking care of their endurance horses, prepping them for the race. And I was very lucky that I did actually get to ride in one of their races and, again, was the only foreigner in the race, which was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, that would be the main things, you know helping to collect hay bales. I did harrow some, you know, potato fields, (laughs) the whole work. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. What did you do the rest of your time in South America when you said you traveled for a whole year? Um, I did spend a couple of months just, you know, doing the, the backpacking trail and doing a lot of hiking and exploring and eating lots of different foods. I did also get a chance to ride in Brazil. Um, which was incredible along the beach there um, and sort of experienced that horse culture a little bit. And then I went up to Central America and I lived with a group called Nomads United and I spent about six weeks travelling across central Guatemala with pack horses, living with sort of a nomadic um, community, which was, again, another incredible opportunity and experience in itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Guatemala and pack horses, uh, that sounds amazing. How did you find uh, that group? So Nomads United, I first heard about from another horsey friend who actually rode with them across Mexico for about six months. So 
she was a little bit older than me and I think she must have done that when I was still a teenager and still in school and she just finished so it sort of did give me those aspirations you know one day that's that's the big plan that's what I'll do I'll find find the nomads and live that life of adventure so I think that was kind of the catalyst in a lot of my adventures to sort of go over there and I basically did just that I tried very hard to get in touch with them it's not always easy they're not always on social media or having phones um but occasionally if you send you know their social media a message or get a phone number you may get a response which I did and because they're constantly moving they're saying we um call it the caravan for example you know if there's a camel caravan where there's a line of camels moving along we sort of likened that to our horses, so we called it a horse caravan. So there's a saying that if you can't find the caravan, you're not meant to be in the caravan. So they essentially said, we're in this area. If you can find us, great, but we may have moved on. So I hopped on a plane from the south of Chile all the way up to Guatemala, had a two-day bus ride into the middle of the country, got to this town where I thought they might possibly be, and just went, okay, well, I guess I'll just go and ask if they've seen any people with horses and it was just one of those coincidences where the first tuk-tuk driver I walked up to to ask him if he knew where these people were with horses I heard my name being called I was like looking around what is going on and there were two girls walking through the fruit market calling my name unmistakably from the caravan and then yeah they just um introduced themselves and we went back to the main camp and that's sort of how the story started (laughs) okay that sounds cool so what kind of people join in this horse caravan or this caravan united um it's definitely you know a lot of people who i guess are into a form of quite alternative living i guess the point of nomads united or the caravan is not it's not meant to be just a short experience it is a lifestyle and a way of life um so yeah it's all sort of artists or people who have skills to share or horse people it's a huge range there were some people in that caravan who had only started learning about horses once they got there which could make things interesting but also very difficult and then it's yeah it's a very I guess colorful community we did do circus shows so juggling hula hooping fire breathing to do a bit of cultural exchange and also to earn a little bit of money if we could through tips to help keep us going or we would help out on the cacao farms in exchange for staying on their land so you know we had no electricity cooking only in fire a lot of people just slept in the big circus tent that was open um so I guess in a way it's sort of a hippie if you like style of existing yeah Okay, well, that sounds uh, pretty amazing. So they are um, still in Guatemala. They are pretty much um, traveling through different countries. They are traveling. I believe they're in Honduras at the moment. Um, Yeah, of course, COVID has happened in between when I was there and now. So that did hinder things a little bit. But I believe they're still still in Honduras. And yes, still, I believe... um, I've spoke, I still keep in touch with them and a lot of the girls or women who were there with me are still there. So they've all been there for quite a number of years living, living in that alternative way. Cool. How long did you travel with them? 
I stayed only for six weeks. Um, I would have liked it to be longer, but I did unfortunately have to return to Australia um, for family reasons at that time. So, yeah. Okay. So if people want to join in, um, they could. Or do they have like an, an, a website or any kind of way of contacting them? Yeah, so they do have a Facebook group called Nomads United Love South. Um, don't believe they use their website too much, but last I did speak to them, they were planning on creating one to make it easier for people to get in contact with them. And usually on their Facebook group or page, they advertise that they have a seed camp once a year. So they call it that because they do stop somewhere for quite a while over the rainy season. Um, and then once they are about to start up again, they hold this camp and people can come for a week or 10 days, however long they plan this camp for, and just get to know everyone, get to know the horses, experience that lifestyle without being, you know, on the move and see if it's suited to them and they're ready to, you know, be a part of that. So it's a really beautiful way of just, you know, testing the waters and seeing if it's for you and, yeah. Cool. So anyone who wants to join in there, um, I'll definitely provide the contact details on the show notes because that definitely sounds something like uh, a lot of the equestrian adventuresses would be interested in doing. Great. So you yeah. returned to Australia and you worked as a horse riding guide in Australia as well. Um, did you do that for quite a long time or do you want to do it more permanently or was it just some some job you did on the go? No, I actually stayed there for almost two years. Um, so I worked for an incredible eco-luxury resort in the Blue Mountains, which is about three hours west of Sydney, which is on the east coast of Australia. Um, so the Blue Mountains is an incredible landscape. It's all, you know, sandstone cliffs, really that quintessential Australian experience. There's kangaroos everywhere. There's wombats. It's a pretty special place. And if you're into rock climbing as well, there's a lot of that there. And, of course, horses. So I started there as a horse guide. Um, so they, we just did half day or hour or two-hour rides there, no overnights, um, because, of course, people were coming to stay at the luxury resort. Um, and, yeah, it was it was a very good introduction and also it looks great on my resume and it was an amazing job you know we're all living on site so it's this team of about a hundred in total our horse team was sort of more like four or five and we had about 20 horses um all draft cross and a couple of standard breads in there um yeah and just speaking about the landscape taking people out mostly beginners did have a mix of experienced riders as well um, and then I went on to learn all the other tours as well. So, um, you know, conservation-based work, driving the tour bus, <laughs> hiking and all that sort of thing. But, of course, that will never replace <laughs> the horses. That's definitely my, my favorite part, yeah. Cool, yeah. You are currently in New Zealand. So what are your plans for the for the future? I mean, you've done lots of horse riding, guiding, um, what's the next step in your in your life? What are you planning? Um, so when I first came to New Zealand, um, I did do a little bit of a short-term career change and was working up on a ski hill, which was something I'd always wanted to do. So I'm um, doing a lot of skiing. And unfortunately, in that time, I suffered quite a severe knee injury. 
um, which I'll be getting surgery for next month. Before that had happened, um, I did get a job taking out multi-day backcountry rides in Glenorchy. So that's sort of the land of the Lord of the Rings, if anybody's read those books or seen the movies. it's A lot of it's filmed in that area. Um, so that's what I was going to do, but, of course, now that I've hurt my knee, that's not, unfortunately, possible. Um, so for the next few months, I'm going to be nursing that uh, leg of mine. But after that, hopefully, once I've recovered, I can get back into horse trekking here. Um, I think it's a great way in any country that you're in to, one, learn how others ride and experience the culture, see the landscape and really be in the landscape. You know, you're not just whizzing past in a car. You're really experiencing every moment of it. Um, and then the big plan is Africa. So I did get assistant um, safari guiding job in South Africa for um, – yeah, next year. So that's, I guess, the next step once my leg has healed. <laughs> cool. So is that going to be a job you want to do more permanently or is it just mostly for a season? That one will be stay for a season just because of the way the visa works. Um, I think there's a possibility to extend it, but I'm really open to anything. You know, if I find somewhere and I love it there and I want to stay, then yeah, then I'll stay. <laughs> As much as I, you know, I want to experience all these different horse cultures across the world, um, you know, when I find one that I love, there's no no reason for me to leave. I definitely plan on going back to Patagonia, um, to Chile. That has a very special place in my heart and was one of the first places where I really looked around and went, this is home and I could I could stay here forever. So, okay, yeah. cool. Will, will you go back to the same estancia or will you just look and find any place which will take you in? Um, I would like to go back to the same place. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it's quite beautiful to make such strong connections and live with those families. And that's what's so beautiful about, you know, yeah, doing that kind of thing. Horse trekking being a horse trekking guide, sometimes the only jobs that are available are seasonal due to the fact that often if they're, you know, in areas that are mountain-based, it's too snowy or dangerous over winter. Occasionally you'll find places that do operate over summer as well, like where I worked in Blue Mountains. We were horse trekking all year round. Um, so it kind of just depends where you are and, um, yeah, what the landscape is like as to whether you will find a seasonal contract or a more permanent sort of contract. Right. Okay. Working in different countries can be tricky sometimes because of visa regulations and stuff. How easy is it to find jobs which actually pay you a salary? Because I know a lot of these jobs are on a volunteer basis. It is difficult. I won't um, sugarcoat that one. Obviously, it's going to be a lot easier when it's in your home country or a country where you do have, it's quite easy to get um, rights to work. So, for example, in New Zealand, um, I would be working for a wage at the horse trekking business. In Africa, it will be in return for food and board. Um, and the same was in Chile, but at the end of my time in Chile, they did gift me quite a large sum of money, which was, they didn't have to do that. That wasn't the agreement. And of course I greatly appreciated it. Um, but I think if you do can get, you know, a working visa and do have rights to work in that country, there are plenty of places that will take you. It can be 
a little bit harder to find, but they're definitely out there and I have done it myself. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to. It just may take a little bit more time and a little bit more digging, I suppose. I guess some places as well, you might go out and say, look, I'll volunteer for you for this amount of time, whether it be, you know, a couple of weeks or, you know, a few days. And if you like what I do, then we can discuss a wage. And then, you know, if you don't, well, (laughs) that's just the way it is. So it definitely is a challenge in the horse industry that I've struggled with a lot because, you know, I we all need money to survive um, and when you want to make it your career choice, I find it can be quite challenging that not every equestrian business but a lot of places sort of, they know that there's horse crazy people out there who will work for free just to be around the horses. Um, and look, when you are a backpacker and you're not concerned about staying long term and you just want a way to sort of save you some money and stay overseas longer, that's fine. But it's definitely not something you can do forever. Yeah, that's right. So um, you've already mentioned you want to go to Africa and then return to Patagonia. Do you have like something, if you said that some, nothing you can do forever, um, do you have any plan um, for the like far future? I mean, of course, it's always difficult to say, but um, would there be any job you would consider maybe doing more permanently in the future maybe returning back to Australia or do you want to stay a- abroad I mean I want to stay abroad for as long as possible I definitely have the wanderlust and travel bug um, and of course if you're the right age use up all the working visas that you can get for your country I feel personally I haven't taken quite enough advantage of that um, a lot of them are until you turn about 30 really depends on your home country of course for me being Australian they have put the age up to 35 for quite a few places which is really great because I'm almost 29 (laughs) so um, running out of time to use those up but I love horse trekking so much I want to keep being a guide until you know I physically can't do it anymore hopefully this knee stays good (laughs) doesn't give up on me and if that means you know returning to Australia for a certain amount of time and then going overseas to do other things then yeah that's what I'll do of course you know there are other sort of avenues within the horse trekking business you could become a camp director so maybe you're just riding part of the time and the other part of the time you know you're help setting up the camps especially if it's a multi-day business um, and that could be a more permanent role but yeah, it's definitely not something, it is my my passion, it is my career, and it's something that I want to continue doing and I will endeavor to keep doing as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that is so lucky, actually, if you say my career is my passion. I think there's uh, very few people in this world who can say that. So yeah, Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Hiri, it was amazing talking with you and I think we all learned a lot and uh, I definitely admire your spirit and I wish you all the best for Africa for your future career and uh, I'd say keep keep us in the loop keep on uh, you know submitting the stories and I'm sure most of the adventuresses would enjoy hearing more from your adventures abroad thank you thank you it was lovely to speak with you and share my story and thank you for spending some time with me And yeah, I would just say that don't be afraid of blind emails and taking that leap of faith. It can be 
quite scary, but, you know, someone somewhere will answer you and you will have the greatest adventure ever. <laughs> Absolutely. I can only second that, you know, go ahead, uh, send that email and you'd maybe amazed uh, of the consequences and where it takes you. It might be a life changer. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> And that's it for today's episode. Heather and me want to thank you very much for tuning in to the Equestrian Adventuresses podcast, the show for women who love horses, travel, and adventure. Are you missing a topic or have an interesting story to tell? Contact us through our Facebook group or send us an email on podcast-show at equestrianadventuresses.com. For all information on this episode, check out today's show notes. You can find the link in your podcast player window or just go to the Equestrian Adventures' website under podcast. Here you can find all the information about our virtual workshop, Adventuring with Your Horse, our latest free travel guidebook, The Ultimate Equestrian Adventures' Bucket List, or our 1000 Miles Challenge. So long, everybody. Happy trails. <laughs>